Good evening, everybody. I'm really thankful that Pastor DJ asked me to do this Sunday night message uh, and next week. Uh, over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at a couple topics that I know hit home for myself. And over the past five, six months, um, have, have really hit home with me. Um, and so I hope over the next couple weeks to share some of God's truth with us so that we might be able to overcome sin and live in what God has called us to live in. Tonight we're going to be talking about grumbling. Grumbling. That's something we all struggle with, right? It's something we all fall into every once in a while and maybe some of us more than others. I know recently for myself, I've fallen into grumbling or bickering or complaining, all the same word, really. My goal over the next couple weeks is to show us that there's a difference between just grumbling and saying, I need help. There's a difference between grumbling and crying out to God with our needs. There's a big difference. And so tonight we're going to be looking at Exodus 16. But before we get into that, um, I want to give you just something maybe to, to think about. How many of you like cars? Anybody like cars? I know Colby likes cars. Colby knows way more about cars than me. And the statistics that I'm going to share about this particular car in a minute made no sense to me before the ride home from church today. So I'm glad we struck up a conversation, Colby, because you helped me a lot. Because I didn't know what this meant. So there's a Dodge Challenger vehicle that's, that's pretty souped up. Uh, it's called the Hellcat. This vehicle is a beast of a vehicle. When I was at a valet driver at Rocky Gap, I had the opportunity to drive one. I, got, I was a valet driver for like eight or nine months, and I got to drive a lot of really cool cars, but this one stood out to me. This vehicle stood out to me above the rest. Now, I don't know what this means entirely, because I really don't know a lot about cars, but if you know a lot about cars, I can at least tell you this. This car is very, very, very powerful. As a supercharged 6.2 liter, that's what Colby explained to me this afternoon, Hemi V8 engine with up to 717 horsepower. The Challenger SRT Hellcat can cover a quarter mile in 11.2 seconds and reach a top speed of 199 miles an hour. It's almost as fast as me. <laughs> Just kidding. This, I can't get over two miles an hour going downhill. This car is a beast, though. This car is an absolute beast. And when I was a, a valet driver at Rocky Gap, I had the opportunity to drive one. Now, I didn't get it up to 199. Would I have loved to? Absolutely. Would I have known what to do when I got there? No, probably just hit the brakes. I got up to about five miles an hour. I basically just took my foot off the brake and let it carry me to where I needed to give it back to its owner. But let me tell you that five miles an hour and just starting the engine made a huge impact in the parking lot. People noticed, everybody noticed. People watched as I walked up to this vehicle just so they could hear it because it's loud. It's really, really loud. It's terrifying. It's powerful. I could feel it in my chest when I drove it that very small distance and speed. I can only imagine what it would have felt like to go full throttle. And like I said, I would have loved to have been able to do that, but I also would have been terrified. 
To describe it, I would say it's a low base of a grumble, almost terrifying if you didn't know that it was just a vehicle sitting in front of you. Feels like this threatening machine is crawling towards you even when it's just idling at zero. If it had nostrils, it would be spewing smoke as the fire in its lungs prepared to consume you. It was just a powerful, powerful vehicle, and everybody around me noticed. Here's why I paint this picture of this car. Its grumble has the same effect on people that your grumbling and my grumbling has on people. When you grumble, you show the sin side of yourself that screams, I'm going to consume you. Whether it's grumbling towards you or grumbling about something else, the thoughts and the grumbles of somebody else can easily consume your spirit, can easily consume your joy. When you grumble, everyone looks at your way. They all look your way, and you certainly don't point to Jesus. You point to yourself. You point to this problem or that problem. Grumbling is sometimes masked as righteousness. Sometimes it, it looks okay. Uh, I, I, I'm grumbling about these bad things going on in the world. But many times it comes back to some kind of selfish desire. So as the vehicle I just described to you makes a big impact, even when it's not in full force, people hear, they stare, they see the power behind it. They may even want to back away from the source of the growl. So too is our grumbling, right? People hear it. They stare. They may not always see the power, but they can certainly feel the effects of it. Even if you don't hear the grumbling, but you hear somebody else grumbling about somebody else grumbling, about somebody else grumbling, catch wind of it hurts sometimes, especially whenever it's about you. Most of the time, those people that hear it makes you want to back away from that particular person because sin always leaves a wake of destruction in its path. It always leaves a wake of destruction in its path. Grumbling can take the form of gossip. Grumbling can take the form of negative words about someone. We have to be very, very careful. A couple weeks ago, as I started uh, to work through this myself, I was reading a, uh, a, devo a devotional by a guy named Paul David Tripp. Have any of you guys heard of him? He's a good author. I highly recommend this particular devotional. It's called New Morning Mercies. I've gotten a lot out of it over the, year, over the past few months as I've been reading along with it. But in this devotion, he asked a question. He was talking about grumbling, and it happens to be going on in the midst of pandemic where there's a lot of grumbling going on. He asked this question, and this is kind of where we're going to start tonight. So let this question sink into your heart. He said, is grumbling the ambient noise of your, of your existence? Is grumbling the ambient noise of your existence? It convicted me. Is this where you just idle to? When I'm just sitting here, this is my normal day today. Not everything's going bad. Not everything's really going good. Do I just tend to be someone who complains? Do I just tend to be someone who grumbles? How about when things do go bad? Do I tend to grumble? Or when things go good, do I look at it and say, well, this is just going to end anyway. It's not really worth getting joyous about because it's all going to come to an end. You could look at the, the book of Ecclesiastes that Pastor DJ is going this morning and, and read it out of context and think life is meaningless. Especially when you look around and you think, 
and there, nothing's going good. But God's word says differently than that, as DJ's been talking about this morning. God's word makes it clear that there are bad things going on in the world, but it does have meaning. So tonight, um, I want to get into that. It drives me crazy to be around people that grumble, which is ironic because I grumble. I know I can be one of those people. I know I can be one of those people. For example, um, a couple weeks ago, DJ and I were both going through car troubles, right? You got to share that. Uh, tonight, I'm going to share a little bit about mine. Uh, our Jeep, I've had it since I was a junior in high school. Uh, it's given up the ghost. It's, it's gone. It's, it's done. Uh, and so that was unexpected, which meant we had to get a new car to replace it. And over the past few weeks of dealing with that, I've caught myself grumbling a lot. I got to get this done. I have to get this done. I really didn't want to have to do this. I didn't want to have to put a down payment on a car. I didn't want to have to do X, Y, Z. This is a lot of money. We didn't want to have to do this. I got convicted because July 22nd was the day I read this, and it jumped out to me. Is grumbling the ambient noise of my existence right now. So even though it drives me crazy, I still tend to do it sometimes. Let me give you some examples of complainers or grumblers in the Bible real quick. Moses complained whenever God appeared, appeared to him in a burning bush in Exodus 3. He said, I, what about, I, I stutter, I, I can't speak well. How, can you have somebody else do it, please? He complained. Korah's rebellion in number 16, if you're familiar with that story. Joseph's brothers in Genesis 37, they end up selling Joseph into slavery. They complained so much about him. The disciples in Luke 9, they complained about who was the best. Judas, when Jesus was anointed with nard, he said, that, that could have been sold. We could have done something better with that than just anointing Jesus, and, and Jesus clearly rebukes him in that. The list can go on and on and on in Scripture where we see people complaining and giving in to this idea that complaining is a good thing. But I want to look at one specific instance that I haven't mentioned yet where Israel as a nation complains. And it's right on the verge, or right after God did some amazing stuff, right in the midst of God doing some amazing stuff, and right as he's about to do even more amazing things, we see Israel complaining. So turn your Bibles with me to Exodus 16. We're going to read verse 1 through 8, and then I want to take a look at a couple specific verses out of this passage. I want to hone in on two of these verses specifically. In Exodus 16, verse 1 through 8, it says this, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, would to God we, have, we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. 
Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At even then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. And in the morning then ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Murmuring, complaining, grumbling. It's all the same. So in verse 2 and 3, I want to look back at this. Israel looks around, and they see they have a problem. Let me reread this. It says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. So they think to themselves, we have a problem. I'm hungry. I'm hungry all the time. Israel's really hungry. And they start thinking, where do I get food? I go to the pantry. I go get myself a can of Progresso because I'm dieting. And I eat it. But Israel didn't have that, right? So they start thinking, where, where was the last time we had a steady supply of food? When did I get food last? They conclude it was with the Egyptians when they were in slavery. Well, yeah, they were in slavery, but they're hungry right now, and they want food. We hear other people in the Bible, when they were hungry, sold a birthright, right? Well, the, the Israelites were murmuring and complaining because they were hungry. So they get to thinking, whose fault is it that we're starving? Has to be the God that got us out of here, right? Now, if you know Scripture, you know the person that got them out of there was not just a person, but it was God. Miraculously brought them out of the land of Egypt. But they conclude that it's Moses and Aaron. So they go to Moses and Aaron, and they raise up their grumble and complain, Ugh, we're hungry. I'm starving. We're going to die out here. Why'd you bring us out here if we're going to die? I'd rather be back in slavery than be this hungry. Yeah, we were slaves, but at least we had some food, right? I want you to catch something, though. Israel may have been hungry. Their need for food was very real. They did need food to survive. But their person or people of interest was out of whack. They complained to Moses and Aaron. They put Moses on a pedestal that he did not deserve. And they complained to him about all their troubles, but lacked recognizing the one who they should have made their needs known to, God. So instead of taking their hunger and need to God... They complained to Moses. They blamed Moses and Aaron. When it wasn't Moses and Aaron that brought them to where they were to begin with. Sure, they had a vital part in it, right? They were instruments of God, but that's all they were. They were simply being used by him. They were just a means by the way of, that God was working, right? Moses didn't split a sea. God split the sea. God swallowed that army from Egypt up in that sea. He performed mighty miracles in Egypt to bring his people out. He used Moses, but again, Moses was only an instrument. So after seeing God work over and over and over in miraculous ways, they see where they're at, and they start complaining to a man. 
They've just seen mighty things at the hand of God. In fact, not only did they see it happen, but they were told they were in the midst of God doing something mighty. They were being brought into a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of their inheritance. And yet, even in the midst of God doing something miraculous, they complained, they murmured, and they stopped to complain to a man. They believed a lie that man had brought them to where they are. But then we see verse 8, and I want you to look at that. It says, And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the fill, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. So Israel has just directed their complaint towards Moses. They look at Moses and they say, you, why, why are we here? Take us back. You got us here. You got us in this situation where we're hungry. Take us back. And in response, Moses, and Aaron, Moses says, God heard your complaint towards him. Israel complains towards Moses and Moses says, you're out of whack. You're not complaining against me. This is a complaint against God. So, we just said that Israel complained to Moses. But the problem was is that they were mistaken. They didn't have it right. Really, in the end, they thought they were grumbling to man, but their complaints rose higher to the one that had them where they were and the one that could fix the problem that they were in. Moses makes a pretty incredible statement that the grumble they had meant for Moses was really being directed towards God. Let's back out here for a minute and, and see the same kind of situation playing out in our time. I'm sure a lot of us have grumbled recently. We're in this awful situation, right, of COVID, where we have to wear masks, we have to stay six feet apart, we have to hand sanitize all the time worked at the hospital for a year, and we had to hand sanitize constantly. And honest to goodness, I hated the hand sanitizer at the hospital. It felt like I was scrubbing my hands with Jello, and it would stay on there for a long time. But I hated it, Yet I, and I did it every day that I worked here, every day that I worked there. Now we're coming to church, and we have to sit in a new place. We have to stay a little distant from one another, which is certainly outside of our normal. That's where we're at right now. We're in an odd, odd, odd place. We don't want to be in this position. Israel was hungry. They didn't want to be in that position. We look around us and we define the problem. We'll say, well, it's not like it's it used to be. I want to go back. I want to go back to the way it used to be. Israel solved their own problem in their mind, and they said, I'm going to go back to where we used to be. We were in slavery, but at least we had some food. So we go to our friends, we go to Facebook, we go to church, we grumble. We tell people this isn't the way it used to be, I'm miserable, and I want everybody to know I'm miserable. I want everyone to know I don't like what's going on. Facebook is a particularly bad place for this. But this is what we do, right? We gather up our little army of yes men, if you will, and we complain. And they say, yes, you know, that's right, I agree with that. We see it. This is not how it used to be. Maybe this isn't even how it should be. Israel, Israel shouldn't have been hungry. They, they needed food to survive. And, and God was going to provide for them. In fact, he does provide for them. But when we do this, we look at it through sinful eyes and hearts many times, and then it leads us to grumble. You hear it in your family. Uh, 
My wife doesn't cook like she used to. Miserable now. We just don't love each other anymore. My kids, they drive me insane. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. You probably heard things recently like, man, I, I wish we could just go back to the way things were. Uh, I can't sit in the seat that I usually sit in. I'm out of here. Or this just isn't my cup of tea anymore. Or the carpet's red. I'm not a fan. I'd really prefer gray because this just doesn't go with my outfit. It's too hot in here. See you later. I, it's, it's, a, it's a degree or two above where I, I typically like it. Well, if that was the case for me, I like it at 62, so I would never show up to church because it's always like 70. Yeah, I got a fan out there that likes it cold. But here's the problem with that. While sometimes things are wrong, like when marriages are falling apart, we, we have a right to be upset about that. But we don't have a right to grumble. Many times our complaints are trivial and grossly misdirected. With the account I just shared with you of Israel mine, let me remind you, our grumbling, when it's on Facebook, when it's to someone alone in the corner here at church, in the parking lot, it rises higher, and God still hears it. While it might be directed towards somebody else in your mind, God is still receiving that grumble. It rises higher than the people we share them with. When we have poison on our tongues and bitterness in our teeth, let me remind you that God is not deaf to the grumble of your heart. Even if you don't share it with your neighbor, he knows what's going on in your heart. Are you taking the complaint, the, the complaint to him? Are you asking him to change the situation or to change your heart? Are you asking for wisdom? Are you asking for discernment? Are you asking for patience? Or are you spewing out words that you cannot return to your mouth? Think back to the car that I shared with you at the beginning. Do you realize the impact that your grumble is making in your own heart? Because grumbling doesn't just affect the people around you, it affects you as well. As you fall into it over and over and over again, that pattern of grumbling hardens up your heart and it hardens the hearts of others. Whether you like it or not, as a Christian, you are an ambassador of Christ to those around you. Amen. You are a representation of Jesus, whether it's a good one or a bad one, you are still supposed to be a representation of Jesus. You should be a good representation of Jesus. Not just an ambassador for Christ, carrying his word around, but an ambassador of Christ. Not only do we carry his message in word, but we also are representing him in what we do. We all have this issue of grumbling. We all struggle with it. Like I shared at the beginning, I, I struggle with this. I'm still struggling with this now. We have sleepless nights, Nicole more than I, with Judah, whenever he stays up all night because he had pears and got super excited and, and had a sugar rush and decided to stay up all night. Leaves you very tired in the morning. But it's easy to grumble about that, and it's not as easy all the time to say, God, I need your strength to get through this day. Because there's, there's a huge difference in our witness when we do those things. 
while the state of our union, right, is not in the best of places, certainly, we talk about it a good bit, that the state of our union is, is not the way it should be. There's a lot of leaders that are not following Christ. There's a lot of people in places of influence that are not representing Jesus very well at all, nor even claiming to, but living quite contrary to his word. While that's the case, it's no excuse for us to slide into grumbling or to fall just along with them. While life may throw challenges at us, we cannot bow down to comparison or to grumbling. There's a better way to represent Christ. There's a much better way to represent Christ. Now, many times we talk about representing Christ as what we do. We go to the Union Rescue Mission and we serve. But even just the attitude of our heart is an incredible way to witness to Jesus. It's an incredible way to witness to someone who does not know Jesus. And if our attitudes are out of whack, then we're not representing Christ, whether it's on Facebook or in person, very well. As we get into the application of tonight, I didn't put this up on the PowerPoint because on our way in tonight, Nicole reminded me of this passage, and I thought it just fit so well. So if you turn with me real quick to Philippians 2, 14 through 16. I'm really thankful she reminded me of this passage because it's convicting, and I hope that God's Word does convict you. Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says this, Do all things without murmurings, and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. That's where we're at, right? Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Let me go back to verse 15, or 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Because we're in a crooked and perverse generation. And we are lights in the world. I think that verse explains this entire situation Pretty well, and I'm very thankful that Nicole reminded me of this passage as we walked in tonight. So, how can we, as believers, reflect this truth of, of, of refraining from grumbling and instead live the way Jesus would want us to live so that we can be a good representation of Christ to those around us? How can we do that? Let's talk about it. And as we do this, keep in mind, next week we're going to be doing part two of this, uh, so I'm not really going to be able to cover everything. Uh, tonight in the response to that. So if you want more, come back next week so that we can get more into how we can best reflect Christ to the world around us when it comes to this. Number one, don't use someone else's circumstances to comfort you. It's been said, don't complain because there's always someone else who had it worse than you. Right? There's always somebody who has it worse than you. How many of you have heard that? I heard it all the time growing up. I was really challenged with this, though. My, my senior year of college, uh, Nicole and I were married. I was driving to and from Lynchburg every week, about four hours, one way, and I was tired. I wanted to complain a good bit that, that few months. But I was, I was taking a class called, it was, it was on suffering and disability. We went through the book of Job and, and, and just dissected Job's life and, and this moment in his life that we see recorded in scripture. And my professor, through doing that, challenged me, and so I want to challenge you guys with this tonight as well, that saying, 
don't complain there's always someone else who has it worse than you, is not Christ's way. Amen. It's not scriptural. It's not. Did Paul write, well, I've had it pretty bad, but you know what? Someone else has it worse, so I'll be okay. When we do that, we use someone else's misfortune or poor circumstances to make us feel better. We use someone else's low feeling and, and, and struggle wherever they're at, whether it's, I broke a leg, well, I, I could have broke all the bones in my body. Somebody, I'm sure somebody's has had many, many broken bones at one time. So I'm good. I'll be all right because this person did it. That's, that's, that's not what Scripture says. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12.9, and if you turn there, we're going to be looking at a couple different passages as we close up tonight. 2 Corinthians 12.9. Mark the wrong Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says this. It says, this is what Paul says Jesus said to him. He says unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul doesn't say, well, I'm going to compare myself to this person over here who has it worse. He says, no, I'm going to rely on the strength of Christ. Because when I do, and I, I function in my infirmities, resting on Jesus, the power of His grace is displayed through me. Don't fall into the temptation of getting comfort from someone else's poor circumstances. Get your comfort from Christ. Get your comfort from knowing Christ as Savior. 1 Corinthians 1.31 says this. It says that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. You don't glory in the health that you have or the fortune of, or your circumstances. We don't say, well, I have it better than this person. Because that's boasting in who? Yourself, not Jesus. We glory in Christ. Because that's not fleeting. What we glory in here on earth is fleeting. Here today, gone tomorrow. You say, well, you know, I, I just broke one leg, but I could have broken two. But tomorrow, you might not be here anymore. So while you might boast in that, it's fleeting. Boasting in Christ is not fleeting because He is the one that has given us all and He is above all, and He is forever. The second thing is this. Cast your cares on Him. Instead of complaining to your neighbor, maybe instead of complaining on Facebook, how about casting your cares on Jesus instead? 1 Peter 5.7 says this. If you turn there. It says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. That tells me that as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, when life isn't going the way I want it to, or when life isn't going the way it should be, we confess to Christ. Sure, we share a prayer request on a Wednesday or with our brothers and sisters, but we don't share a request with our brothers and sisters because we want to gossip. We share because we really need the power of God in that situation. We don't say, oh, you know, I heard so-and-so is really struggling. You could pray for him. Because that's just using Christianese, if you will, 
to cover up gossip. So if something's not going your way, maybe ask Christ to either change your heart or change your situation. Are you struggling with where you're at now? Pray for peace. Confess your struggle to Him. Are you stuck in sin, but frequently blaming your scenario like, oh, you know, I'm, stuck, I'm struggling with this, but if, if this and this and this happened, then I would be able to get rid of it. You know, if I'm really struggling with over-drinking, but there's just a lot going on right now, and when that, all that a lot going on right now stops, then I'll, then I'll be good. Maybe instead of that, come and lay your burdens at his feet. Do you not like the way that things are in the world? Pray. Amen. Pray for God to act on his word in the world and change it. And the third thing, what we're going to be getting into more next week, is be thankful. Amen. This is the big remedy. In Christ, we can have thanks. In Christ, we can have joy. And we don't have to grumble anymore. When we don't have Jesus, there's nothing we can do but grumble because there's nothing good to have. But with Christ, there is an eternal joy that we can have. I want to leave you with this passage as we start to finish here and, and head into our invitation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17-18. It says, Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You and I are called and commanded to pray without ceasing. And in everything, whether it's wrong, whether, whether it's, it's good or bad, we are called to give thanks. We are called to praise Him. We are told to ascribe glory to the one whom deserves it. So if there's one big thing I want us all to take away from tonight, it's this. Give up the grumbling. Lay it down. Don't do it. It hinders the representation of Christ that you have to people around you. I know I've done it. I know I've fallen short on it. I know I've needed to repent even in the past couple weeks as, I've, as we've led up to this message. As I've known that I was going to be preaching against grumbling, I know that I've grumbled. I know that I've murmured. I know that I've complained to Nicole about the scenario that the world is in. I know I've complained to her about the car situation and, and this and that and being tired. But God's Word says there's no place for that in the life of a believer. We need to lay it at His feet. We need to lay our burdens down before Him. Because if we're not laying them down before Him, and we're not communicating them to Him, who do we think is taking care of it? You think it's on your shoulders? Because we can be free of that burden. And you can be free of that burden today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then it, if you need the opportunity to come forward and lay those burdens down that maybe have been on your heart, come and do that. So let's go ahead and look to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to confess our grumbling to you, to confess that, that, that sin of grumbling that is stored up in so many of our hearts. Lord, I know I don't like the situation that the world is in. Lord, I, I, I wish that it would change, that we could go back to normal, that we didn't have to wear these masks, Lord God, but Lord, 
we need to bring that to you. Lord, we need to, to lay that at your feet. Lord God, I pray for each of our hearts that you would soften them to your word, that we would be prepared to respond to you and to bring those cares to you rather than to our uh, neighbor and gossip or Facebook, that you would primarily go to you for our comfort because only you can bring lasting comfort. Lord God, I thank you for all you've done for us. And Lord, may we have attitudes of thankfulness as we leave here tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.